2: and the gimmick in the sky roger bienvenidos señores y señores to another episode of the bleed lows podcast this episode of the bleed lows podcast is brought to you by bet online mm-hmm. bet online is your number one source for all your betting needs get the latest odds lines and matchup reports for baseball boxing golf and more Bet online continues to be the fastest and easiest way to place your wagers, including live betting, and your favorite casino and card games are available to play right from your phone. So head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and get in on the action. Remember to use the promo code believe, BLEAV for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, where the game starts. And joining us on the carne asada for the very first time, this is a great honor for us because uh, a lot of our viewers have always been saying, you guys got to have Steve Garvey on the show. Get Steve Garvey on the show. Well, guess what, guys? Steve Garvey has joined us on the show. Steve Garvey, bienvenido. ¿Cómo estás,
3: amigo? Bien, gracias. I love it. See, Steve never gets asked it. me before. All you had to do was ask me, and I would have been on. But no, you went for the big guys. I know, <laughs> I
2: know. I, I love it that Steve gets the show. And uh, by the way, Steve, I just need to ask. It seems like, you know, I always like to start off the show in Spanish just to test people's sure. Spanish. And your Spanish sounds great. It, in your playing days, I. it seems now it was more prevalent. You know, it was a benefit to speak Spanish. But in your playing days there... Were people already bilingual at at that point, or was it just
3: not that common? No, I think uh, you know my first day up was September '69, so I think that it was the beginning, you know, say in the early '70s of the emergence of the uh, of the Latin player, and and Puerto Rico always seemed to dominate, and of course Venezuela came along, and then ultimately uh, Dominican Republic became, you know, just a uh, a, a wonderful training ground for the future of baseball and the emergence of the Latin player. So I was there. I was in San Domingo in '72 and '3 and '3 and '4. I played for Lice, the uh, the iconic uh, <clears throat> uh, blue team in Santo Domingo. Escalado was the red team. So the the Giants sent four or five guys there, and the Dodgers sent four or five uh, to Lice, which which the Godfather was Manny Mota. So um, couldn't have, couldn't have had a better place to play two winners in the Caribbean. But actually I had taken uh Spanish classes uh in school, so I got to understand it uh quite well. I just couldn't conjugate very well. So <laughs> <laughs> and uh and I said one time on these Sunday post games, you know, that went into the evening with a very wealthy Dominican who would have us over and La Sorda was the manager, and he would be holding court and people would be laughing for you know, an hour or two hours. And I would say to Pedro, who was the gracious uh uh, host i said pedro has a spanish he says oh uh, steve he said uh he's very funny he said but you know conjugate very well <laughs> i said okay <laughs> i don't feel so bad but uh you know over the years i've been able to pick up here and there and then hanging out with uh you know the great hall of fame announcer jaime Irene and jorge and the guys so i i think i understand more than i probably uh let on but uh all in all you know i when you when you talk about you know, and obviously your your theme is this, but the emergence of the of the uh, Latin player, and now how significant they are in uh, in baseball and in Dodger Stadium. Um, you know, I couldn't be happier. That's you know, it's that's the thing about baseball. It's it's still the most inclusive sport. I mean, if you can run, throw, pitch, hit, um, if you're the son of a bank president or a sharecropper you're going to be able to play and it's a meritocracy and that's why i'm proud to be an ambassador for the game and and uh and purport its history so
2: steve everybody that tells me that has played winter ball has raved about the experience and it doesn't seem like today's player uh not not that many players go and play winter winter ball do you think it would benefit them to go at least maybe just one season and, and experience winter ball.
3: Absolutely. But you know, there's been the emergence of the Arizona league and the development of, uh, of that over the years. And it's easier to send guys there. It's easier to, to watch them and monitor them. But but there's something about going to a, a, a foreign country or possession and uh, experiencing three months there and, uh, and learning about the culture in, in, trying to speak the language, all those things, (laughs) which the Hispanic players appreciate. You know, I I did an interview one time with Jaime Harin. Jaime said, I want to do a a deeper interview, late 70s, early 80s. And uh, I want to do three parts. I want to cover everything from being a bat boy growing up to now. And I said, well, let's do it in Spanish. And he went, what? I said, said, you'll ask me the questions. I'll answer in, in English. And then if you'll have them printed out in Spanish, I will... Speak in Spanish, and and at least I'll make the effort. And you know, people come up to me to this day and say, "I remember that interview." Yeah, you didn't get a lot of you know all the words right, but you tried, and and we appreciated that. So I think that's the effort that that takes place between staying domestically and and playing in, in winter ball, and then going outside the country.
2: So if I see you at Dodger Stadium, I can call you Esteban.
3: I can go Esteban oh, Garvey. Oh yeah, and I'll stay. well that's you know the. The first game at uh the Estadio Casquilla in uh at Dominican Republic, it's opening days a Sunday afternoon. And it's a big game. It's say against Escojito. And I remember the the starting lineup in, in Spanish. And uh Esteban Garvey and the crowd <laughs> roared, you know, on one half of the stadium. And the only way it was ever um uh, it was ever similar was when we'd go to San Diego and the announcer there uh, had his own way of presenting the lineup. Uh, th- there was a guy by the name of Enzo Hernandez. And he announced to go, and your leadoff man for the Padres, number of Enzo Hernandez. And I thought, I'm back at Estadio Casilla in Dominican <laughs> Republic. So, uh, yeah, you know, that's the nuances of baseball, I guess.
2: Well, we, we wanted to have Steve on the show because on Friday, June 23rd, it marks the 50th anniversary of the infield. Um, This is an accomplishment that I think, you know, the Dodgers already have huge historical accomplishments. They have Jackie Robinson. They have Sandy Koufax. But I think one of these historical accomplishments that is not spoken enough about is did this infield play together? Now, correct me if I'm wrong, Steve. Was it eight years straight about eight, that you
3: guys? About eight and a half. Yeah.
2: Eight. Eight and a half. Yeah. And you guys doubled the next longest. And I think the argument—it's no contest. You guys are the most successful infield. Uh, what I wanted to ask you was—you were—you came up in '69. Now, Ron Say has told us that you guys single-handedly demolished the Dodgers farm system in the 70s Uh, because of you guys. The Dodgers did not produce any any minor leaguers. How much time did you actually spend playing with those guys in the minor leagues before you guys actually started playing together in the major leagues?
3: Well, a, a, a couple of noted points is the draft of 68 arguably was the greatest draft in history. I think we had, and Mark Langell, a great Dodger historian, would know exactly, but I want to say seven, eight, nine guys in that draft that played over nine years in the major leagues, which is just unheard of. Uh, And that became the nucleus for some of us coming up as early as 1970. Bill Buckner and I won the position, starting positions in spring of 70. Uh, We were essentially... Down in uh, Spokane by the first part of May, you know word crack ready. the Dodger team wasn't very really good and, and uh, the front office wanted to just get daily experience along with Peshorek was in spokane and and uh, Russell up and down Lopes uh, Bobby Valentine and that team, the nineteen seventy Spokane team, was voted the greatest minor league team in history, so you can see the sequence of the great draft of sixty eight leading to Triple-A, Spokane, and then Albuquerque up through 72. And then the emergence through different paths of getting to June 23rd of of 1973 and the first night of the infield being together. And, uh, And that was the beginning of eight and a half years. And if you look at the golden era of the Dodgers, I think 73 to about 85 was the golden era. And that was predominantly... Uh, anchored by that 68 draft. Uh, La
2: Princesa de Picolandia, I think has some questions for you considering she always talks about that era that you just referenced right now. Isn't that right, Alicia?
0: I do, I do. It's There's nothing like it. And to hear it from Steve Garvey himself was just, wow. Uh, congratulations <laughs> on um, what is coming for you guys, This for you gentlemen, uh, you scholars of baseball. This Thanks. Friday, um, I want to know, is this something that was on your calendar, was on your mind, or did one of the guys say, or, or Lopes, or did someone have to remind you that it was coming up, or was it always kind of in the back of your mind, like, oh, wow, the anniversary of the best infield in Major League Baseball is coming up?
3: Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I'm more of a historian because of, of my history of growing up as a bad boy in spring training in Florida for the Brooklyn and LA Dodgers, um, and I read books, so I understood the history of the Dodgers and, and Yankees. My parents from New York, uh, but I I have been I always think of anniversaries. I think they're important in life. I think they're important in business. They're important in sports. So I I've been thinking about this as late as a couple of years ago, and. Um, and the four of us get together two or three times every year. We like to do signings so that the public can can share time with us and and, and collect special items and so forth. So um, this got came about relatively late, though, but still it's going to be a great celebration on on Friday night um, on a variety of levels. The, the great the great scouting you know staff of of the Dodgers, the Dodgers commitment to developing players who who are probably. Very good athletes, and like like Russell and Lopes, were very good center fielders. But the Dodgers saw potential, they saw a need, so they became the anchor at, at short and second of the greatest in the field in history. Um, I was kind of a wild arm third baseman. Not a big demand after a while uh, <laughs> when you throw over Wes Parker's head, a gold glover. But, uh, you know, I had these old defensive back skills of quickness and agility and uh, not having to use your arm that much. So all of a sudden, on uh, June 23rd, in between games of a doubleheader, uh, we had been struggling against lefties, but I had been pinch hitting for Walt Olsen, was leading the league, And we lose the uh, first game one to nothing to Freddie Norman, crafty little left-hander that drove Walt crazy. And he always seemed to beat us. He said, you guys are overswinging, but... One thing leads to another. But, so I got one of the two hits pinch hitting. So I'm sitting at my, my locker, and you get about 30 minutes between games. And Walt passes by, starts to pass by, and he stops, and he looks at me, and he said, uh, you ever play first? I said, oh, sure. Well, I played one game in Little League and one game in AAA. I had a bad hamstring, and first base was the closest position to get to. <laughs> and uh, and he said, well, grab a glove. Play first tonight. Don't trip over the bag. We're facing another lefty. And he said you've been hitting it pretty well and um i borrowed a glove went out with the bad boy threw around a little bit uh started the game and i think one of the first two plays was a ball hitting the hole and billy russell came over the top and threw it and it was in the dirt and i picked it out and i thought wow yeah thank you lord uh a couple <laughs> innings later throw up the line i jump up tag it and just instinctively whirl around and tag the runner in the head we get him there and uh you know, I didn't know how treacherous that play was until you see it and you see first baseman. That's the one area that really can get hurt on defense is, is that kind of play. And uh, and made that. We won the game, got two doubles and a couple RBIs. And after the game, I'm sitting in my locker. And, you know, those days you feel good about yourself. You know, you've had a, a great podcast. You, you know, it's been, everything's worked. Um, comes out of heaven. And all of a sudden, Walt well, comes by again. you had done a press conference. And he doesn't stop, but as he walks by, we hear, you're in there tomorrow. And I looked at Steve Yeager, and I said, Yeager, is he talking to you? He says, no, I think he's talking to you. Uh, And he was. And um, I started the next day, and those two days were the beginning of 15 and a half years at first base. But I love to tell this story because it's a great example of, in life, uh, no matter how hard you're struggling, you keep working. Because every afternoon, I'd be out at 2.30. With Dixie Walker, the hitting coach, and fielding at different places, um, and and the harder you work, the more confidence you get that your time you will be given another chance. So that you know, dedication, preparation equals success. When that opportunity came, I was ready, even though it was a position I hadn't played before, and uh, and so I always say, if the manager, the coach, your boss says, "Can you do this?" You say, "Yes, I can." And give it the best shot you can, because you never know what's going to be your destiny. And carpe diem, you know, seize the moment. And that was the beginning of the rest of my career. Everything else before that was mental, physical, spiritual preparation for the moment when I said, yes, I can. So,
0: Wow. One, I did not know that. So... Taking that chance, and you thrived because you stayed ready. I love that. Life lessons from Mr. Garvey here, Juan.
2: No, hey. (laughs) I mean, absolutely. Steve, I wanted to ask you because, I mean, you, for our wrestling fans, everybody who listens to this show knows I'm a big wrestling fan. So I attribute the four of you guys, like the four horsemen, and you are the Ric Flair of the four horsemen. And everyone knows that Ric Flair... (laughs) was the man, and individually, he was great. So there is you as an individual, you're a great ball player. Uh, what is a greater, what speaks to your legacy? Your individual accomplishments or the fact that you are going to be closely tied to those other three guys for the rest of history?
3: Yeah. Well, I think, I think when God gives you the skills to play a, a sport, and there are two different categories there's individual you know it's golf and tennis uh and their team sports the ultimate in success is winning a world championship so you work towards that you develop your individual skills so that you perform at your position and then you hope to be in a leadership position and that's where the consecutive game streak came in i think everybody asked about how could you play you know uh seven and a half years straight but um, to, to achieve a world championship like we did was, you know, I hate to use the term, but it is the icing on the cake for this team that, that was adding pieces over, over probably a six or seven year period. It seemed like we were, it was the same team, but we added a Jimmy Wynn. We added a Dusty Baker. We added a Reggie Smith. I mean, guys would come in and, you know, the team's like that now. I mean, this team looks like it's kind of got same guys over the last seven or eight years but guys come and go but the nucleus is there so the nucleus was the infield from 73 to 82. um think about it four guys first of all you have to be good enough to start you have to be good enough to to be successful every day uh you have to be a cohesive unit um you all have to stay healthy so there's so many variables in in a longevity of of something like an infield. I mean, you can't get one guy to maybe one guy on a team has spent eight and a half years with a team, much less four individuals. Right. So, um, so it takes that, then it takes, you know, individual uh, passion to be the best player on the field and all your work. And again, we remember I came from a great minor league system, struggled for a few years, found my spot and then embraced it. And ultimately a wild-armed third baseman ends up with gold gloves and an errorless season and all these things. Um, So your individual contribution and dedication, the core being, you know, being that infield and then Bestie and Reggie and and Rick and those guys doing their thing uh, led to this golden era. So it, it, it's just not one thing, but it's that recipe that adds up to, uh, and, and the significance is the history of the Dodger organization. And what they've always tried to uh, to do. And that's put the best, the most quality product on, on the team. Uh, that plays for the fans, plays for the community, and for the love of the game.
2: You know, I lament that the Dodgers took so long in the season to announce that they're going to be recognizing you guys. Um, because it's a big deal. Because there's a lot of young kids that don't know the story of the infield. And I think it's important... You know, when you're at the stadium, they're always throwing up legends of the game and, and and I see parents talk to their kids and they go, Oh, this guy was a great player. And that's what makes baseball baseball. I don't think you have that in the in in the NBA, in football. I mean, you do have it, but I just don't think you have it to the same level as you have it with baseball. Because Alicia, aren't aren't your parents like huge Steve Garvey fans? Didn't they instill who Steve Garvey was to you?
0: Huge parents, huge parents. I mean, Steve's been so gracious to my family. Um, I've been um, honored to interview Steve a few times on mm-hmm. other area in other uh, media mm-hmm. outlets, but he has always been such a good guy uh, with my mom, especially because I liked what you said, Juan, about Steve Garvey being the Ric Flair of the Four Horsemen.
2: Yes, woo! He Thank was a
0: you. Steve, I know you're being super humble, which is your nature, but you are a rock star, okay? you were a rock star you had you are a rock star permiso permiso you had you know fans running out of their seats onto the field trying to give you smooches. you had women wearing your face emblazoned on their t shirts you had my mom who knew your stats, and she's not a stat nerd like um it's it was so fun and it's still fun to hear how you and your, your, your fellow infielders impacted the game. And one, to your point, if young people don't know all of the details, it's great that this Friday is happening for these gentlemen, because yeah. it's it also explains why Dodger baseball is at the standard it is, mm-hmm. right? Why other, other fans wish they had a team like the Dodgers, why other organizations wish they had the system and the, the culture. And the infield, these four gentlemen were a huge part of that standard. Am I wrong?
3: Yes. No, you're absolutely right. And and the thing about baseball and and the other team sports are are moving at a a certain pace. Uh, Hockey, which I think has done a phenomenal job, is the fastest team sport. Uh, Basketball, one end to the other. Big men, small men, you know, executing. Football, 11 guys on 11 guys. Uh, The great charm of baseball is the pace of the sport and the humanity of it uh baseball doesn't try to hide the ball you know like they do in football uh mm-hmm. you can see the faces of of the players uh there's a pace to it uh so especially you know you always think of the of the male fan but the women embrace baseball because it is slow like that you can see the individual you see us fail and and succeed in real time mm-hmm. you know i mean i mean uh if I pop up with the bases loaded in the bottom of the ninth, you know, I don't get overs. That's why I get around with a lot of my actor friends, you know, who who want to be, you know, want to be me or the other guys. Oh, I'd love to be you. I said, well, what, you know, what if you pop up like that? He goes, oh, yeah, I don't get 22 takes like I normally do. I said, no. I said, but, but people know you because they see how you act on the good days and bad days. And and uh, especially, like I said, about my consecutive game streak, I take so much pride in it. I went out every day for 1,207 games, and people people knew that if any way I could get out there, I would because I owed it to them, and uh, through migraine headaches and hamstrings and all these things. Um, it also showed uh, the leadership that I had for my, my fellow players, too, uh, and it's always in God's hands. You know, Any anything can happen, and it ended on a slide at home plate where I I didn't go into Pasqual Perez's, you know, knee as he was covering home plate on a pass ball because I didn't want to hurt him. I stuck my hand back and my thumb, you know, tore ligament and everything. But, um, but that's why baseball is so special. It's the humanity of it, real time. You you can get to know the players. You, you you feel like you know them because of 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 this failure and success and how they and how they treat the two imposters, as the poem goes. So.
0: I. I agree 100%. And, I mean, my mom and I watched, uh, you know, soap operas. I think baseball is very romantic that way. You yeah. have good guys, bad guys. You have the villains. Oh, much like wrestling one. You have the good guys and the bad guys. <laughs> and you, you.
3: It all goes back to wrestling, Alicia.
2: I'm I know.
0: Telling right you.
3: Well, like this weekend, you know, I mean, the uh, Houston Astros are going to have that lingering, you know, tag on them, you know, of, of cheaters and – you know, I think the best thing for them is that Dusty Baker's their manager. You know, yeah. Dusty can can deflect those things because of who he is. But yeah. the fans are still gonna boo him. You know, they're yeah. gonna say they still cheated. <laughs> and uh so they're on the you know, we're on the white horses this weekend and they're on the dark horse and uh and it's kind of fun for a weekend and they go their way, Dodgers go another way. So
0: I love it. I love it. I can't wait to see you all on the field. One uh, or Mr. Garvey, are it's all neat, four? Of, <laughs> I want to be polite. Up uh, are all four of you going to join the um, join each other for the celebration on Friday?
3: Well, Davy um, has had some health issues, so he's back on uh, the East Coast. But uh, but Billy and Ron and I are are going to be out there. And
1: um,
3: the 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 biggest. Uh, unknown right now is throwing out the first pitch i'm not so sure the three of us can get our arms over our head anymore so i've been lobbying for uh, uh for grandsons to throw the ball to the uh, catcher but uh now we'll be out there and uh i i i'm pretty sure they're gonna have a phenomenal video that everybody will love to to film while it's uh, going on the screen
0: you know that's not a bad idea at all uh when they, the Dodgers honored the great Jaime Harin, his grandson yeah. Stefan threw out the first pitch, I believe, right? So, yeah, and brought it over the plate. So, oh.
3: and I visit, I visit probably four or five minor league uh, uh, parks this summer. I really like it. It's great to go there. I sign for a couple hours, and I, I'll throw out the first pitch. And now I'll I'll pick a little leaguer out of the stands as I'm going down and have them come out. And uh, you know, it's a it's a great moment for for him or her, I've taken girls out there too, and their families and they get the ball and so forth. So it's a chance to do something interactive and uh, it's good for them and it saves me from having to throw 10 feet instead of 60.
0: (laughs) We
3: love it. <laughs> uh, Steve, uh,
2: we want to thank you for your time. We're going to wrap the show the way we always wrap the show. Uh, we have a, our what we call our kickback questions, which are rapid-fire questions. But if you got a long answer, then by all means, go ahead and, and do it. Uh, sure. But a few questions for you. You, you mentioned the Astros. Mm-hmm. In your era, Steve, if a team got caught doing what the Astros did and the commissioner of baseball – did nothing about it, how would you guys have handled it?
3: Well, if you remember, the beginning of our union was uh, was really Marvin Miller. Uh, he was a, a phenomenal labor uh, lawyer. And uh, beginning with Marvin in the 70s and then fast forward, we gained tremendous strides, arguably the greatest union in sports. The union is there to protect the players, but I think that the union at that time, uh, we would have felt that we're not going to protect those that cheat the game, that that even though we were gaining strides uh, and parity, by the way, uh, it was still done with the, uh, with the perspective of sportsmanship and fair play. So I think that the union may have maybe treated it differently. And I know the commissioner probably would have treated it differently. Um, so I don't think it was handled as uh, as deeply as it should have been, but it's come and gone, and hopefully everyone will learn a lesson from it.
2: Um, I want to ask you, you know, we were talking about how it's important to remember great Dodgers of the past to make sure their memory stays alive forever. Uh, this is just me being selfish just because he was one of my favorite players growing up, but Pedro Guerrero, mm-hmm. uh, I feel a lot of people don't realize how good that dude was. Um I I know you didn't get a chance to play with him that long but he played an instrumental part in that 81 World Series. Uh what are your thoughts on on Pedro Guerrero?
3: Well, I remember him coming up and uh from the Dominican and uh seeing him in in spring training. That's where you really I think spring training is a is a time where you get a chance to assess the young players and you look at the players that that maybe need, you know, Need a brother like Steve Sachs was, you know, he and I, uh, somebody to mentor them. Uh, Pedro had a tremendous amount of ability, but he was spread out too far, and he was out here, and we're, you know, I told him you got to get, you know, stand up more, right? And he and he never forget the little times that we all spent. I mean, it wasn't just me. A lot of the guys, when we saw somebody who was receptive, then we knew that that we could get to him then. And I, again, that's another big part of successful organizations and teams is that they're very collaborative. They work together. The older guys help the younger guys. And the Dodgers team now over the last six, seven, eight, nine years has done a phenomenal job inside the clubhouse of nurturing that that type of thing. Uh, but Pedro went on to be uh, a very, very good player, and that eighty-one World Series we could not have won it without him. So you you picked a very good player to uh, to have as your idol, so to speak and uh and by the way he was a a character in the clubhouse and we needed more guys like that so uh you know every now and then i'd go hey and he knew he's probably taking a little too far (laughs) 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 you never want to go over the edge a little bit you know so uh you know what guy's getting mad you know we're gonna have fun but you know, we got a game to play, too. So.
2: so he would listen to you, then, because you got that
3: Lycee uh, 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 experience in you, right, Steve? A lot of cred right there, I'll <laughs> tell you. And we, we won a Caribbean World Series my first year. And, of course, you know, Manny, like I said, was the godfather of Lycee. And, uh, and I watched him. I was a pretty young guy at the time. And how uh, he was so influential in the community in in, uh, in the Dominican. And uh, what we did around the holidays where he gave gave out tens of thousands of dollars in in clothes and food. Uh, And then how he took that and in his adopted country, the United States, did exactly the same thing in the community here. So he truly is a man for all seasons and and somebody that that mentored me. Um, Are you the only person that could
2: have maybe related to Valenzuela during Fernando mania, because, you know, before Fernando, you know, Fernando mania gets a lot of credit for, Oh, it started the, the popularity. You guys were trying fans before Fernando showed up and, mm-hmm. and you were the, as we said, you were the Ric Flair of the Dodgers. Mm-hmm. Seeing him go through that. Was there any advice that you gave him to, to how to
3: handle that? uh yeah I, I the the best advice I gave him was never get let Jaime hareen get more than three feet away from you at all times <laughs> <laughs> uh Jaime hareen during that period was the uh was the angel on his his shoulder so to speak and uh and there were some other key people there's a new book uh by Eric sherman and it's called uh- uh, uh daybreak at chavez ravine Daybreak at Chavez Ravine, and, and Eric's a phenomenal writer. I would recommend it to anyone. The first 40 pages talk about the development of Chavez Ravine and how all this uh, came about and teed up Fernando coming in there and changing the culture uh, of, of well, Dodger Stadium in Los Angeles and the rest of the country, too. I mean, uh, if you, you think of seismic change in California. And you think of earthquakes seismic change in sports in California was Fernando and his emergence in in Dodger stadium. And, um, and that book is perfect, but Fernando, um, even for his young age and nobody knew exactly how old he was, right. Because of his maturity (laughs) and and Fernando had this way of being a little self-deprecating, but staying within himself, um, his great ability to focus under under new environments, um, was one of the big reasons for his success, and then and then realizing that he came up with, with certain pitches and pitching skills, but that he was open to adding more that would make him a more complete pitcher. And when he uh adopted the uh, screwball, uh, that changed changed everything for him. So, um, he went from a small little spring training, and then he gets to Dodger Stadium and he's, he's there, and then the big the first big night away from Dodger Stadium was at Shea Stadium in New York because there's nothing like New York in the press there. And, uh, and we all tried to help him as much as possible. But again, Jaime was the one that shielded him and got him through that first weekend and that baptism into, into New York. Uh, last two, uh, Steve. Uh, we already mentioned uh, Rick Flair and our love for
2: wrestling. Were you ever a fan of the male soap, soap opera at any point in your life, even when you were a kid? Maybe.
3: Now, I've always gotten a kick at it, and thanks so much for your reference. You know, comparison with Rick, uh, he's done a phenomenal job in that sport of you know promoting it. Um, but I grew up in Tampa, Florida, and they had a a, a huge wrestling audience there. At the at the armory and a lot of the big cowboy Luttrell and all these wrestlers back in the in the 50s and 60s the real the real beginning of of uh, I call it entertainment wrestling and uh, and that was around and I, I used to love to watch it and then the second part of, of really starting to get into wrestling was when I went to Michigan State University in 66 and they had some great wrestling teams and and uh, I got a chance to to really watch that at, at any chance I could. So, um, yes, I am a fan. I don't see it as much as I'd like to. My kids are UFC guys. But, uh, you know, maybe someday I'll go with you and I can sit there and you can teach me about it. So. <laughs> there, there, there we go. Uh, last one. Um,
2: and you're a good person to ask uh, this question because you played uh, in L.A., but you also played in San Diego. On this show, we are big on tacos. We, we love tacos. So, Steve... We want to know what is your favorite taco and where do you go to get that taco? Uh, and if you want to give us a place in San Diego, too, or if you just want to tell us which one had better tacos, we can go that route, too.
3: Well, I don't have to go far because my uh, my son, Ryan, is a, is an extra excellent chef and a, uh, a, a grill chef, too, so he does a pulled pork uh, and a tri-tip taco with all the ingredients that that's phenomenal. Uh, so, again, I don't have to gar- go too far. It's not going to be Garvey's Taqueria and franchising. <laughs> but but four or five times a year, um, Ryan, we, we bribe them to go out there. And th- we live in the desert, you know, and it gets a little hot to go out there and do a little sweating and make that uh, those great tacos for
2: us. Uh, you, you get the fancy tacos there. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh,
0: yeah.
2: Uh, Alicia, you want to bring us home here?
0: No, I, I want to get in on some of those tacos and that is love (laughs) that he goes out in the desert to make some tacos for you. Is that not someone who cooks for you and tacos in the desert? That's love. Um, Can't
3: beat that. And by the way, you mentioned moms. I'm, I'm huge with moms and grandmas now, you know, I just want (laughs) to tell your mom, hi, your grandma. I mean, you know, I can walk around now and when I'm at the stadium, uh, you know, I'm always so flattered because, you know, the moms will come up. You know, the young kids, you got to Google me probably.
0: Okay, so you brought up the moms. I have to go there. I wasn't sure if you would remember this, but one of the times you were so gracious to my family, you gave my mom a little besito on the cheek and the whole game <laughs> I'm not going to wash my face it's just <laughs> such Oh, my goodness. And there's my dad, smiling, but, like, eye-rolling. So
3: <laughs> I know. You but see, sure. in the, and, and, and the neat thing about this is I could do that, and I could look at the dads, and they knew that it was kind of yeah. special, and, and they, were, they were sharing the queen, the queen or the princess with me, you know,
0: so. Absolutely. That's what I was going to say. Because you're Steve Garvey, because you are the Ric Flair of Major League That's Baseball, right. My dad was cool with it. I don't think yeah. anyone else could have gotten away with that. <laughs> that's, that's right. Oh, well. It's a great that's memory. Right. All, all of the cousins bring it up all the time. We see you around the stadium, and we don't want to bother you, but they turn to my mom and they're like, oh, there's your man's or, you know, there's, <laughs> the, there's Steve <laughs>
3: You better bother me. You better She better come knock me down or grab me or something. You know, so.
0: but, but,
3: you know, that. and one last thing, I know, we're probably wrapping up, but I've always said we're in the memory business, and at the end of the day, um, people come up to me every week and uh, and say, I, "I'll never forget when Grandpa took me to the bleachers on Sundays, or the family went to games on on you know Saturdays or whatever it is. I never forget the you know this play or that play, um, or the World Championship, and that's why we play the game. And we. It, You can't forget we're in the entertainment business. It's not life and death. But if we can create memories that are, by the way, the greatest currency in life, you can't sell it, you can't give it away, it's truly ours, uh, then we're successful. You know what, Steve? I think
2: that says more about you, though, uh, because not everyone is like that. I I don't. And maybe this is something that you've gotten with age. I, I feel like maybe this is how you were during your prime. But I don't see a lot of players. I, I don't, I, they don't give off that vibe that they're in the memory business. So maybe you're just a throwback to a different time, or it's maybe just that's who you are.
3: Well, I, I, I think it's both. Growing up, uh, again, as a bat boy, you know, from seven to say 13 with the boys of summer, the Brooklyn Dodgers and then LA Dodgers. Uh, sitting next to Gil Hodges and Peter Reese and Roy Campanella and Jackie Robinson and watching them. Uh, and for six, seven years, watching their consistency and, and the humanity of them and how they treat the fans taught me that if someday I got to be, you know, in major leagues, and a Dodger, right, who would have ever thought that I maybe I could be like them and show the fans the respect and, and how much they see. In the offseason, none of them went back to their are real homes. They stayed in Brooklyn because it was family in Brooklyn. It was the streets of Brooklyn. I mean, they, they got jobs, but those fans, you know, took them to the diner in the morning for breakfast, and, and but all the guys recognized them. That's why it was, you know, Ebbets Field was, was such a family place and, of course, when you know Mr. O'Malley went out west, that's why they were so sad and mad at him because the, the family broke up. But uh, But we had it, you know, and they had it, and that's the most important thing.
2: Well, we want to thank you, Steve. You've been so gracious with your time. Sorry that we held you over. We're all looking forward to seeing you guys get that recognition that you guys deserve in Dodger Stadium. I think uh, you're absolutely right. I agree with you. You guys are the golden era. Uh, I think you are the reason why this Dodger, the Dodgers are so popular in Southern California. So we want to thank you. Uh, where can our listeners, our viewers follow you on social media, Steve, or if there's anything else you want to plug and now would be the time.
3: Oh, um, you know, Steve six on Instagram. I like Instagram. Um, yeah. So, uh, that's the best place to go. You know, I seem to be doing some interesting things and, uh, and uh okay, I'm exploring a run for the U.S. Senate. You've probably heard <laughs> that. I can only tell you guys. Th- uh, thank you, thank uh, you. You saved me yeah, the, awkward, I, I the awkward, the awkward moment. Have a decision in the next few weeks, and uh, well, uh, well, I mean, you are a brave man for for going into that <laughs> world,
2: uh, Steve. But I, I'm sure. You have your reasons and we can save them for another time, but we want to thank you very much for joining sure. the show. Absolutely. Thank you all so much. God bless. Yeah. God bless you, Steve.
0: Thank you. See you at
2: the st- and once again, a big thank you to Steve Garvey or uh, Garvey, or as we he likes to be called in the Dominican, Esteban Garvey. Um, Babyface, what are your thoughts uh, on the
1: Garve? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, Steve Garvey, uh, I think we mentioned this when when we talked to Fernando. Steve Garvey is also one of those players that I think even today, though he played right in the 70s and 80s, right? He's still one of those guys that's really, like, recognized, right? And, like, even to today's fan, like, they see, oh, Steve Garvey, he's like one of those guys that kind of has transcended, you know, all that, you know, those gaps of time, right? And he's kind of still very popular with with a lot of people. When they see him, it's like, hey, that's Steve Garvey. I know that guy, right? He's one of those guys, like one of those old-time players that is still very cool. You know, a lot of people just, they want to talk to him and hear what he's got to say. And, you know, he's, you know, for me, he's he's one of those guys too because, you know, he's one of those guys that right in his era is kind of like when I I started watching baseball, you know, late, you know, 80s, um, you know, mid-80s, late you know, to the late 80s and the 90s. You know Steve Garvey was one of those guys you know that you know I grew up on
2: you know uh he what was i really interesting to me was he was the first one of the infield to get called up, and he talked about how he struggled and he ended up having a great career for the Dodgers, and then later on he had even he achieved a little more of success. He wasn't completely done with the Dodgers, but when he went down to the show pods, he took the show pods of the World Series. But he's pretty much viewed, even though his number's retired in San Diego. Uh, he everyone views him as a Dodger, and there is this belief, by shared by some people, that eventually he is going to get into the Hall of Fame. Babyface, where do you stand on that? Do you think uh, Esteban Garvey is finally going to get into the Hall of Fame?
1: Yeah, I think he has a chance. I think you know he'll, you know he'd he'd be in that with the the veteran the Veterans Committee, right? I think. You know, maybe down, down the road, I think, you know, he, he he can get in. I mean, I think he had, you know, he had a solid career, right? That, that you know, mid-70s, you know, through like 80s, right? Like he was, I mean, what what other first baseman was like probably better than Steve Garvey, right? I mean, multiple all-star, right? He won an MVP, right? You know, he said multiple all-star games. I mean, I think he, you know, he had that solid stretch right there. And I think. You know, I think eventually he probably will get in there, and and you know, and eventually leading to the Dodgers to retire his number. You know,
2: I I mean, I don't know. I, I think Willie Stargell played for first base for a while in the seventies, and Pete Rose played first base uh, in, in the seventies also. Um, I, I, I it's it's really interesting because if you break down Esteban's numbers. I, I I go back to that same old adage. If you have to think about it, they're, they're not Hall of Famers. And you don't have to put everybody into the Hall of Fame. I actually think the Hall of Fame would be better if there was less people in it because it is the elite. But it is interesting in the sense that Garvey was the man in the 70s. And even though we're talking about the infield, that famous infield of Ron Say, Bill Russell, and Davey Lopes, you know, we talked about it with him and I, and I really do appreciate that he recognized the fact. And he also embraced the fact that he's the Ric Flair of that infield, but he was, I mean, people, it was Steve Garvey and then the infield, you know, you loop them all in together, but Garvey was the guy. And just today's, you know, fans who lived through that era, Garvey was the guy that they were talking about. And, for a decade, even more so than a decade, for Garvey to be the main Dodger, I mean, that's that's a huge accomplishment. I mean, if you break it down through eras, right, in the 80s, you would say Valenzuela, that's who the main Dodger was. But then Hershiser came in towards the mid-80s, and then he was the main guy. Then you could say Mike Piazza was the main guy for a while. Now, in, in this current era, clearly, I mean, for 16 years, When you think of the Dodgers, you think of Clayton Kershaw. Yeah, he has a lot of other stars around him. But when you think of the Dodgers, Clayton Kershaw is the first guy that you think of. During his era,
1: Steve Garvey was the first Dodger that you thought of, right? Yeah, he was a guy. So um, real quick, do, do you think he had a better career than Harold Baines?
2: Wow. Why, why? It's not Harold Baines' fault that he got into the Hall of Fame. And, and this is why it cracks me up that you guys give me so much shit about this argument on me being so selective on the Hall of Fame. You guys don't think Harold Baines should be in the Hall of Fame, which then you guys are agreeing with me. We don't need to put everybody into the Hall of Fame. Steve Garvey had a great career. There is no shame in Steve Garvey not being in the Hall of Fame. They're absolutely I mean, there's so many guys. Everybody that made it to the show is good. There's no chumps. I know we like to sit here and say this guy sucks. It's like, dude, that guy doesn't suck compared to great people in major league baseball. Yeah, he's maybe not that good. But I mean, Garvey, he had a great career. But are you gonna sit there and say that no I mean, no doubt Steve Garvey should be in the Hall of Fame?
1: I mean, obviously, he wasn't like you know first ballot Hall of Fame. but I think he, I think his career warrants him making it into the Hall. I think he was, you know, top top elite player, like I said, during that time. And I think, I think he he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. I mean, there's a lot of guys like that, right? The, where the Dodgers had like like Maury Wills, right? Like Maury Wills isn't in the Hall of Fame, right? And a lot of people right. think he should be in the Hall of Fame. So I think it kind of it kind of fits in that in that fame that same place. So we're just going to put everybody in that. That's what it eventually, what well, it's going to come to. I mean, you're not putting everybody in, but I mean, I think, I think the hall of fame baseball hall of fame is the hardest one to get into right now, as is, is the hardest one. to get Yes. In. Yeah. And, and, but like I said, I think there is guys that are worthy of that home. And maybe, I mean, maybe cause it, I mean, I don't know. I, I was going to say it, somehow you distinguish between the, okay. Yeah. Maybe they didn't get in. I guess it depends how they got in. I mean, I don't know. Right. Yeah. They
2: got in on their 10th try. uh, try. Yeah. I mean, the thing, you know, what's really interesting is have you seen uh, Kurt Schilling's numbers? Like, if you look at Kurt Schilling's numbers, there's a lot of people that make an argument like, hey, dude, that dude should be in the Hall of Fame. Now, I don't have a memory of Kurt Schilling being a dominant pitcher. Like I don't think of Kurt Schilling in the same venue in the same manner as I think of Pedro, right? Or Randy Johnson. Like those are pitchers that I felt dominated their era. But Kurt Schilling was good, especially in the playoffs he was really damn good and there's nothing wrong with that. But I for think me the Hall of Fame should be for the elite,
1: the best of the best. I, I think the sh- the shilling thing is because of the postseason. He he has, yeah. he has great he had great postseason numbers, right? So that so you know he hasn't gotten in. So I think it's kind of I think uh, maybe like Madison Bumgarner when it's his time, they're gonna be like he's not a Hall of Famer, right? But they're gonna be but look at his postseason numbers. I think he's gonna kind of fall in the same places as shilling. They're gonna they're gonna be looking well, look at the postseason he had, but you know obviously his career numbers don't don't warrant it.
2: Is Oral Hersheiser a
1: Hall of Famer? Oral, I don't, I don't, I mean, I don't think so. I mean, I think. But he, can't you talk about Oral Hershiser the same way you
2: talk about Bumgarner and you talk about Schilling?
1: I mean, Oral had. I think Oral's span wasn't as long, maybe as some of these other guys.
2: He had a great playoff in '85. It's just they didn't make it out of the NLCS. '88 was ridiculous. Right, what he did. Mm -hmm. And then when he was with the Indians, he was good when they made it to the World Series uh, against the Marlins. So, I I mean, Jack Morris is another guy who I think is remembered more for his playoff success than during the regular season. I I mean, it, it... it's just really interesting. The fact that the criteria constantly changes the fact that like you said, you can use arguments now. Well, if Harold Baines is in, then Steve Garvey is in. especially now if Fred McGriff is in, then Steve Garvey should be in what McGriff almost hit 500 home runs.
1: Yeah. You know, so what, what do you think of the, like, like the team Hall of Fames, like I don't. Dodgers don't really have a team Hall of Fame, but they have that legend, right? That yeah, the legend. Of- and and you have someone like like uh like the Cardinals do it. We saw David Freeze actually. Uh, he said, "Hey, no thanks, but I don't I don't feel worthy to be in in that."
2: Yeah, like, which I found really really interesting.
1: What do you think of of like team Hall of Fames? Like, is that something you consider or? or- oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I because. Garvey
2: was like, like we just mentioned in the seventies. Garvey was the dude. That's who you associated with the Dodgers. So yeah, you put him in the team hall of fame because when you compare him to other Dodgers, he was elite. In terms
1: of what he did for that organization. Do you retire his number like the Yankees do when they put, you know, his monument out there in in center field? Yeah. if, If the Dodgers didn't
2: have, if they didn't commit themselves to that policy of only putting a hall of famers, Garvey is a guy whose number should be retired at Dodger stadium because of his contributions to the Dodgers. But because the Dodgers, you know, committed themselves to that policy, which they didn't have to, You know, I I mean, look, I I, one of the things that, you know, I haven't been to the new Yankee Stadium, but a lot of what attracts tourism to Yankee Stadium is that they get to walk through the Hall of Monuments. And I think that's great because you're celebrating the Yankees. You're celebrating their history. That stuff, to me, makes sense. But when we're talking about the Hall of Fame, when we're talking all of Major League Baseball, These are the elite of the elite, unless, unless you are recognizing someone specifically for a certain accomplishment, you know, that I, I I don't have a problem with. I mean, we have broadcasters that are in the hall of fame, you know, you have that kind of stuff. So I don't have an issue. I I think, I think all teams should do that. I mean, the angels, I, I mean, look, the show pods, Garvey played for the show pods for two years. And he got his number retired over there, right? And it was for two years. Garvey was huge for the show pots. He got them to their first World Series. And that means a lot. And if a team wants to go ahead and do that, look at the Arizona Diamondbacks. The Diamondbacks have Gonzalez's number. Luis Gonzalez's number is retired. Do we think Luis Gonzalez is, a, is, a, is an elite baseball player? But he was a huge part of that Diamondbacks team that won the world series he got the game-winning hit it's the history of that team i think that's very different than the history of all of major league baseball
1: yeah i mean i think it's i get the hall of fame rule and then I, i get like yeah teams should recognize players that made a big impact on their organization and retire their numbers but then i'm also weary of like the yankees right like retiring guys like I mean I guess Paul O'Neill made a big impact for the <laughs> for the Yankees, right? But it's like it's like yeah, it kind of gets a little overboard. I mean, I guess there's still gotta be some type of uh discipline, I guess, to it to you know, I would yeah, Dodgers could retire six, right, for Garvey and, and Oral's number and Exactly. And and, and, and Modus. See, but then you start it's like all these numbers that start getting retired. Like the Yankees, I mean, they don't have a single a single digit number, right, available, right? I mean that's and and now so that's kind but, of and, But that but why? Why don't they? Because they had great people
2: that played. And that to me is a great way of promoting their history. It's like we've run out of numbers because we've had so many people that were great for our organization.
1: But, I, I mean, what are they going to do then? Like triple digit numbers? Like what what I mean, what do you start doing after that point? Like
2: uh, you know, I think it's been uh, maybe it was in basketball. I don't know if it necessarily was in baseball, but they've unretired numbers with the permission of the person uh whose number was retired to allow them to wear it. You know, if it got to that point where you ran out of numbers, I I, I could see them sitting there going, OK, you can go ahead and and wear it. You know, because we need the number, but it doesn't change the fact that the person still that number got retired. Why did it get retired? It got retired because of so and so. Look, I I do think Garvey's number should be retired at Dodger Stadium. He's that important. Uh, I think Hershiser's should. You know, be because everybody talks about what Hershiser did, and I it's because his '88 season was so ridiculous. But Hershiser was really good for them since he came up. He had a good run with the Dodgers for the 80s. Look, Mike Piazza is a Hall of Famer. 31 should be retired at Dodger Stadium. But because of the way Piazza left the Dodgers, the fact that Piazza doesn't have a good relationship with the Dodgers, that number's not retired. But it should be, don't you think? Don't you think 31
1: should be retired? Yeah. I mean, I think maybe they can still somehow honor those numbers, but I mean, maybe still kind of keep them in circulation somehow, you know, like they're recognized as special numbers. And I mean, maybe you just don't give them out as often or, or or, you you give them out to
2: a very special person is what you do. Yeah. Special player.
1: I, I mean, look, the Dodgers did this to
2: themselves. They should, they shouldn't have committed to that policy. Uh, I, I mean, you're just gonna get I mean that that standard is 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 so great because the thing is is like like I said, I use the Diamondbacks. They have like three retired numbers, and one of them is Jackie Robinson. You know, so it's like when you sit there and you look at that and you look at how many Dodgers players jerseys have been retired, and a lot of people think, hey, there should be more Dodger player jerseys retired. But it still seems like it's a lot of numbers that are retired for the Dodgers. And then you look at the Diamondbacks, and I get it. The Diamondbacks don't have the history that the Dodgers have. But that's the point, right? The point is to acknowledge, look how great the Dodgers have been and for how long they've been great, right? Because that's the other thing that you look at, right, when you're looking at retired numbers. The last number that got retired, when did that person play? So, I mean, I I know it would mean a lot to Steve Garvey, for him to to make it into the Hall of Fame. So I'm not going to hold that uh, against him. If he gets in, he gets in. I just, uh, for me, and I've always felt like this, if you have to think about it, they don't deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. The Hall of Fame should be for players that you were just like, we were so lucky to watch that guy play baseball. He was so good in a league where everyone is good. He was better than everyone. You know, like these guys then, I mean, we'll talk about it on another show. Uh, and But uh, I I just, I, I really, I, I like talking to Steve Garvey only because, and he mentioned it there towards the end, he is such a politician. And I'm sure he's going to make his announcement whether he's running or not. But any question you ask Steve Garvey, he doesn't shy away from it. He will talk to you, whether he answers your question or not. That's a different story, but he is going to at least respond to to what you said. So I, I do enjoy talking to Esteban Garvey. I appreciate him sharing those stories about the Winter League uh, and, and he gets the show. Um, before we wrap things up, babyface, any last words on Esteban?
1: Yeah, um, I wish we kind of maybe could have got it out a little bit more of him, right? If he's going to run, right? He kind of like, oh, okay, yes, fine. Yes, 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 yes it's true. I'm, I'm considered. So it was kind of funny when, you know, the way he kind of let it out at the end. But, yeah, I mean, we'll see. We'll see what he does. I mean, I think, you know, he might be uh, successful in that, in that that in that field, you know?
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, it would have been nice if he would have broke the news on the Bleed Lows <laughs> podcast, right? All of a sudden, we would have become a, a political show. <laughs> but anyways, that's going to do it for this episode of the Bleed Lows podcast. Uh, once again, make sure you guys are subscribed to the podcast and are subscribed to our YouTube channel. We got an interview with Julio Urias right after his rehab start in Rancho Cucamonga that is only available on our YouTube channel. So go check that out and subscribe to it. So yo ha sido su servidor Juan Ramirez de parte de mi colega Babyface. Nos vemos para la próxima. This episode of the Bleed Lows podcast has been brought to you by Bet Online, where the game starts. <laughs>